Are you ready to take your business to the next level? Every day there are countless books and articles that are published offering the key on how to make your business a success. It's easy to feel overwhelmed trying to keep up and run your business. That's why Deb Creer created the Business Power Hour. Keep up on the latest trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. Let the Business Power Hour do the heavy work for you. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today, we're going to be talking about something that is very timely for our times, but it is also something that is evergreen because we're going to be talking about data. And you know, and oh my gosh, we are, let's let's be honest, we are overwhelmed right now with data, and it's very confusing. Um, you know, and so we're going to be talking to an expert about this, and you know, because it really is. It's confusing. Should we be using it? What do we need to be doing? All these various things. Um, and, you know, we shouldn't be ostriches. We shouldn't be hiding our heads in the sand. So, you know, it's going to be a great conversation today. So please join me in welcoming Dr. John Johnson to our program today. Welcome, Dr. Johnson. Hi, Deb. Great to be here. I'm uh, excited to talk about my favorite topic, data. Perfect. I love it. Well, let me tell people a little bit more about you, and then we will just dive into this. So Dr. John Johnson knows HR data like few others. As a PhD economist who analyzes the issues of liability and damages and in labor and employment litigation, John understands how to transform companies' raw, messy data into meaningful analysis and reliable results that empower informed decision-making. A teacher at heart, John is known for his ability to explain technical concepts simply and clearly. John is also a business owner and entrepreneur who appreciates the power of harnessing data in running a high-performing organization. Ten years ago, he founded Edgeworth Economics and has since built the company into a world-class economic consulting firm. And in 2019, he launched Edgeworth Analytics to meet the growing demand for sound data analysis in human resources and other business services. So again, John, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. As I said, I'm looking forward to it. We have a lot going on in the world. So Oh, I know, I know. So let's kind of go back a bit, though. Uh, tell us how it is that you got to where you are and how you discovered that this really is your passion in life. Well, I... Uh went uh, to graduate school, um, and I really thought I was going to be a professor the rest of my life. So I, you know, was always a teacher. Mm -hmm. I love teaching. Um, And so when I graduated from MIT, I was a professor at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. I was there about two years, and I very quickly, although I was potentially going to be one of the most popular economics professors there, I kind of found the work to be a little impractical. Um, And I found that a little lonely, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Being a professor is not quite as, you know, you don't, you interact with your students, but a lot of your work is doing research by Mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. So I always really cared about data, but really practical problems. So I decided Mm -hmm. to talk to my wife and I decided, you know, I don't think this is for me. Mm -hmm. So I decided to move to Washington, D.C. and Mm -hmm. I took a job in a consulting firm where I worked for several years and kind of learned a little bit more in this space of sort of litigation consulting um, testifying in litigation mm-hmm. about different data type issues. Mm. Um, but even that, as much as I liked the work, I, I hit another point in my career mm-hmm. where I kind of, maybe I was a bit of a know-it-all, maybe I just had my own ideas, but mm-hmm. I just thought I had a better vision for how the mm-hmm. business part of it could be run. So I did something that people thought was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. In 2009, right in the middle of the Great Recession, mm-hmm. uh, I left and started my own firm with a few of the people that mm-hmm. I had worked with cool. for years. And went out as an entrepreneur. And, you know, we really were at the time selling customer service, mm-hmm. attention to our clients, mm-hmm. how to budget this type of work, right. how to explain things simply. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was the start of mm-hmm. maybe this major part of now my life. And so mm-hmm. my firm now, you know, has been in existence, that part of the firm has been in existence 11, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, analytics firm has sort of come into play in the last year or so, mm-hmm. where we're trying to move a little bit more from just pure litigation mm-hmm. to also helping companies before they're in litigation. Right. So that's kind of my story. I love it. You know, and we were talking before the program that 
you know, we're, we're surrounded by numbers, um, you know, and, and more importantly, sometimes we don't know that we need the numbers, um, you know, and, and uh, many years ago, many years ago, uh, when I was working on my master's degree, I took a class in statistics and, you know, and I'm not a numbers person, you know, for me, one and one doesn't always make two, mm-hmm. but I remember, you know, some of the things that, that my st- uh, statistics professor said were, you know, when you're asking questions, obviously how you ask the question is absolutely critical because you don't want to lead the answer, um, you know, and, and so that's very tricky. And then I remember he also said, you know, and you can kind of make the data say whatever you want the data to say. And I thought, what the heck? And then I realized he was right because, you know, you can even just in in how you word things, uh, you know, you can say, uh, you know, it, it, instead of saying 95% of people said yes, you could say, oh my gosh, you know, you know, a majority of people said yes. Okay. That could take that down to 50%, sure. you know, and, and so you're, you know, and, and, and you're not lying, you know, clearly it was still a majority, but, you know, so things like that. So data has always fascinated me because it is, you know, it's how you ask, it's how you interpret all of these various things, you know, and, as I said, we're completely surrounded right now by data, whether it's the number of COVID cases or the elections or all of these various things. And so that's why I really wanted to, to get into this with you. Um, you know, and, and so let's let's kind of, you know, for those of us, you know, you you uh, you know, and you have been a teacher, you are you know an ongoing educator um, in this. Talk to us about some of the basics that a lot of people don't even know. Um, you know, let's let's talk polling. Um, we'll we'll start with the big guy on the block um, because you know I'm I'm in Atlanta, so we're kind of surrounded by it right now, and will be for another two months. Yeah. How? Uh, uh, there's so, just so many questions that yeah. the people have about well, polling. Well, why don't we start with sort of um, first? You know, I think that you know the perspective you explained about the fact that people really do think numbers can be sort of twisted or turned mm-hmm. in a way to sort of say whatever someone mm-hmm. wants. You know, there is always a degree with lots of things in life. You need kind of an honest broker, right? right. You kind of have to sort of approach mm-hmm. this. You know, I think the benefit of data is that it actually does bring rigor. Mm-hmm. And if it's done well, you know, even if someone's pointing towards an answer, you know the assumptions that went into the right. data. You know the types of things mm-hmm. that happen. There's a um, a few years ago, I wrote a book about misleading data. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was one of the examples, which I thought of when you were describing about um, baby food. Mm. There had been a series of ads about uh, baby food and, you know, four out of five pediatricians or mm-hmm. you know, basically <laughs> prefer baby food. But when you actually dug into the numbers, what it actually was, was the survey was not four out of five mm-hmm. because it was first they asked pediatricians if you'd recommend baby food at all. Mm-hmm. And if you said no, you were knocked out. Right. And they asked if you'd recommend a specific brand of baby food mm. and a whole bunch of those left. Mm-hmm. And they asked, well, if you recommended baby food and a brand of baby food, would you recommend mm-hmm. Gerber baby food? Right. And this well, was Gerber done was- by that company, right? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yes, four out of five pediatricians mm-hmm. who recommend baby food and recommended a, ba- a brand That's of right. baby food mm-hmm. recommended Gerber baby mm-hmm. food. That's a very different interpretation. Mm-hmm. So every time when I hear people talk about data, it's sort of mm-hmm. that's one of our examples of sort of cherry picking. Right. Mm-hmm. So why don't we transition to polling? Because I think okay. that's a good setup, right? Mm-hmm. So polling. Um, what a situation we find ourselves in. <laughs> um, after 2016, the polling industry did a real deep self-reflection. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, to sort of be clear about where I fit into this, I'm someone mm-hmm. who reads and interprets polls. Right. I don't conduct polls myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I'm a data analyst, and so I've commented on polls, things like mm-hmm. that. So, um, and so the polling industry really looked into at the time how could they have missed the mark so badly? Right. A lot of what the narrative that was developed was, well, the national polls got it roughly right, but the state polls in 2016 mm-hmm. were low quality and missed huge swaths of voters in Michigan, mm-hmm. in Ohio, in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And that so was the, the swing states. Swing states, mm-hmm. and that was the reason why the um, perspective was that the polls were so wrong. Mm-hmm. So polling agencies did a lot of work this in the intervening time to sort mm-hmm. of try to deal with those issues. And, and one of the things you heard a lot about is sort of trying to get um, the education levels mm-hmm. actually into the weighting of the samples, because okay. that's sort of a big part. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, all polls are only as reliable as the sample 
which they're right. dry. If a mm -hmm. sample isn't representative, mm -hmm. I can give you any numbers. I can give you any totals, mm -hmm. right? When we talk about the polls being wrong, it's not because they added the numbers up wrong. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the people they asked those questions to right. said that. And so mm -hmm. people who asked the questions to, on average, the national polls were about eight to 10 points for Biden. Mm -hmm. In many of these states, there were very large leads. Mm -hmm. Now, it's still early. <laughs> I don't want to pretend yeah. we know We're not exactly right. sure of the outcome. We're but, like 99% sure. <laughs> but what we are, the first thing that seems to be very disturbing mm -hmm. is that the direction of the bias in the polls mm -hmm. all was in the same direction, mm -hmm. which means they all undervalued, understated the level of support for Donald Trump in right. the poll. And since they're all in the same direction, that points mm -hmm. to a systematic error mm -hmm. in the poll. Right. So that's a big problem because mm -hmm. if you have a systematic error mm -hmm. in one direction or other, you don't want that, right? right. Like you really want the, mm -hmm. okay, well, if you make a mistake one mm -hmm. way, it gets canceled out the other mm -hmm. and it sort of averages out. So that's why polling now, in some respects, 2020 may well go down as much worse mm -hmm. than what happened in 2016. Right. It's really is going to put the polling industry in a bit of a crisis. Mm -hmm. I think. What happened necessarily? Well, there's a lot of theories mm -hmm. floating around right, right now. One is that um, COVID, mm -hmm. right? Right. How did that fundamentally change mm -hmm. who picked up the phone, who answered the mm -hmm. call? That's mm -hmm. what we are. There's still what is called the shy Trump phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Right. Trump voters in, an in a setting where um, President Trump questions institutions, mm -hmm. um, people who support him also question institutions. Polling mm -hmm. is one of the institutions. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's sort of that issue. And well, they, and people didn't want to admit that they might be supporting him, even if it was to this anonymous voice on the phone. Right. And then another thing, the other direction, very fervent Democratic liberal support, right? Mm -hmm. This has been a right. year where we talk about the very energized mm -hmm. liberal base. Mm -hmm. Well, that goes the other way. They really want to answer the survey. So, yes, I'm right. going to vote for Joe mm -hmm. Biden. So, so they see it on their caller ID and they're like, must answer, must let's answer. Let's talk about <laughs> it. Right. Let's get out there. So you've got that sort of the early, again, and there's still mm -hmm. a lot to be dissected, mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of the early quote unquote, returns on mm -hmm. what potentially is wrong with the polling. Right. Now. And I don't know how you start to fix that. But the mm -hmm. reality is, there are still, again, large identifiable groups. In this mm -hmm. case, it looks like older voters, mm -hmm. it looks like Trump supporters that were missed, mm -hmm. again, in the sampling. Right. If people either aren't telling the truth, mm -hmm. but more important, if you can't get the samples right, mm -hmm. the polling is not going to be all that useful. Right. Sort of, you know, what do we do? Do we build in that we expect a five or seven percent sampling error right. every mm -hmm. single time? If we do that, that's <laughs> that's getting pretty close to is it even valuable? Right. So I think, you know, if you ask me to look at my crystal ball, I suspect there will be yet another self-reflection mm -hmm. by the polling industry. Mm -hmm. um, I think people are a little addicted to polls. And so mm -hmm. I'm not sure we're going to see them go away. Mm -hmm. But again, what frustrates me the most about the whole situation is. People say, well, the data is wrong. Well, mm -hmm. no, the data is not yeah, wrong. Yeah, the number was correct. <laughs> the techniques may mm -hmm. not be giving mm -hmm. meaningful data or right. what you can actually interpret, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that rampant speculation about who's ahead or behind is necessarily better. It's mm -hmm. not necessarily better, right. but we've got to put the tools mm -hmm. in the perspective at the mm -hmm. Right. You know, one of the things that that I heard was, you know, you you're, you have alluded to this, you know, who responds. Um, you know, a lot of older people might not, you know, if they don't recognize the number on caller ID, they're not going to answer it. Right. Um, you know, and and youngster youngsters, <laughs> the, the younger demographics yeah. are like, okay, who's who's calling me? Simply because so many people might have their numbers. You know, they're they're not going to eliminate. Um, but you know, and and is you know, and, and so yeah, it wouldn't have mattered who someone was for. It was just kind of were they even going to answer the phone? Um, you know, the number of landlines is down. I mean, that's that's one of the biggies, um, you know, and it's just I mean, so many people, including my mother, who is 88 years old, no longer has a landline. Um, you know, she just has her cell phone. So, you know, there's there's all of these varying things. Plus, you know, I it, it you know, it comes back to that. We didn't want to answer, um, you right. know, and and uh, whether you were a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, I think especially as it went on, it was like, ugh. Um, well, and and we got pulled a lot. You either it was weird. You either got a lot of calls or none. <laughs> you know, we got probably two in the evening sometimes. I would suspect in Georgia you got a lot of calls. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of 
tension in Georgia. Mm -hmm. I think also that, um, you know, if you think about the evolution of polling over time, mm -hmm. you know, yes, the old days, you have a phone book. That's mm -hmm. the way people are pulling right. their sort of random mm -hmm. samples, right? Mm -hmm. As we've had the evolution, landlines to cell phones, to mm -hmm. online surveying, mm -hmm. you know, how do you reach different demographic mm -hmm. groups? How do you reach different generations mm -hmm. of voters? And what are the attitudes about these things? Right. So those are foundational issues mm -hmm. that have to continue to be dealt with, mm -hmm. um, getting to people in their ways. And again, I don't want to make it seem like they only use landline in polls, not all right. of it. Yeah, I got calls on my cell phone. Right, mm -hmm. right. But still, there is an over-reliance on older methodologies. Mm -hmm. And it is still like just not quite getting it right. right. And I don't know if that's also a function of our politics. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could well be that people just are not, you know, if one side or the other is just systematically unwilling to participate in polling, mm -hmm. a big problem. Right. For the polls. I mean, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. offer the value judgment on society. Right. But I mean, for right. polls, it is a big yeah. problem. You know, and one of the things that, you know, I've talked a lot about with my friends and, you know, and, and you know, we've heard about is, you know, in many cases, it wasn't that someone was voting for Biden. It was that they were voting against Trump, you know, and so the how they respond to questions regarding that is going to be very different also. Well, I'd also think it's very difficult because we are in a, for lack of a better word, sort of a norm busting period, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, you know, there's a lot of similarities over time in politics. I think mm -hmm. when you live in Washington, D.C. area, again, I'm not in politics at all, but I mm -hmm. live here. So yeah, yeah, it just kind of sucks into you. Right? <laughs> it's just sort of part of it. It's like, you know, if you live in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. you know, that's where Hollywood is. Right. Kind of, mm -hmm. right? And so so for those of us that live here, and, you know, mm -hmm. most of my friends are not in politics, but, you know, we're kind of here in the middle of all right. this. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got this kind of interesting dynamic that happens in terms of what are the norms and mm -hmm. sort of what are the basis people are voting. And. And then you see the sort of red states, blue states, and sort of the divide with the data again. Like, what does it mm -hmm. look like? And, you know, a part of it is just it does seem like this is an era of incredible polarization. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, at the same time, there are trends that are evolving that are really quite interesting to watch. Georgia mm -hmm. is a fascinating place to watch because, you know, and I sort of view Georgia as a few years behind. Virginia used to be a, a battleground state. Right. And it is sort of in this year, the presidential candidates weren't here at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but in 2008, they were all over Virginia, right. for example, mm -hmm. right? And so you see this evolution and, you know, and some, and so when you start to look at demographic shifts and things like that, that's another way that data is very mm -hmm. interesting, right? There has been interesting migration patterns mm -hmm. from different, two different locations. And whether it's around the cities or the suburbs, that is also going to affect the context of these issues. Mm -hmm. And it will have, you know, I think right now the narratives you see are about sort of that supporting Democrats mm -hmm. in certain but there's also a countervailing where there will be Republican mm -hmm. areas where people will move to and that will change that. So right. as we look to this year's census, the you know every 10 years we have the census, mm -hmm. as we look to the data on the demographics, I actually think that for me personally is something I'm going to be very interested in. Right. About. Oh, what yeah. is the data mm -hmm. starting to show us mm -hmm. about these longer term demographic mm -hmm. trends and what that might mean for our politics right. and the degree of polarization? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our, you know, who is, is, you know, living in a city and who has left, um, you know, all of those various things, you know, it's the, the, the whole polling thing. I mean, it, like I said, it's, it's just so interesting to me. It, one of the things that, that is always, you know, and not baffling. I mean, it's, it's understandable is how it gets reported by the media, mm. you know, and, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, we we no longer live in the time of Walter Cronkite with unbiased media. Um, you know, and and so you just understand. Okay, CNN's probably going to report it this way. Fox News is probably going to report it this way. So they can take the same poll and report it differently, and that's what gets really confusing. Yeah, and I think it's sort of. I think there's two things. So so let's start with an overarching media narrative, which I mm -hmm. think is just an issue. Um, and this is regardless of whether it's Fox News or CNN. Right. Anyway, mm -hmm. okay. there's a lot of obsession about the horse race. There's mm -hmm. a lot of obsession about that. You know, if you want to interpret data carefully, mm -hmm. you need at least a modicum of care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can't just go with the headline, mm -hmm. you know, Biden leads Trump by seven points. Well, right. what does that mean? Well, mm -hmm. yeah, what's a point? <laughs> right, sometimes it's based on as little as 500 people. And right. so that's where sort of margins of mm -hmm. error. But even then, Margins of error are reported incorrectly. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not here to mm -hmm. do a whole statistics right. tutorial on these things. But the point is, um, because there's such an obsession about horse race, horse race, mm -hmm. horse race from the polls, um, and even if they say, well, caveat of point in time, caveat at the snapshot, mm -hmm. you know, 
the narrative that's created is this person's ahead or behind by this mm -hmm. much, and this is what it's about. Right. And so I think that's always kind of tricky. You know, mm -hmm. I've, I've talked to my friends about the fact that I sometimes think if they ever reported polls and said, by the way, that 7%, that 2% lead in this poll, that represents mm -hmm. six people who'd have to change right. their mind, yeah. 10 people. Mm -hmm. You might think, wow, it's only 10 people different. Mm -hmm. you know, it just I, I'm always thinking about, are there ways to sort of couch this information? Mm -hmm. So then you get to sort of the polarization of sort of left wing, mm -hmm. right wing. Mm -hmm. What are the stories people are telling? Um, you know, again, I try to be apolitical. You know, I'm sort mm -hmm. of a data guy. I want right. to be center. But mm -hmm. once again, um, people can twist or use data or show it in sort of half ways, which mm -hmm. doesn't all, you know, always, you know, maybe to support a narrative as opposed to the data actually right. providing an objective mm -hmm. basis to refute something. And mm -hmm. so a lot of what I try to do is talk about ways that people can protect themselves from being misled mm -hmm. um, from media narratives. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I did a TEDx talk a few years ago mm. where we did uh, headlines mm -hmm. in sort of misleading ways that headlines, you know, right. one of my favorites was, uh, I think it was like four out of five CEOs are psychopaths. But when we dug into the study, mm -hmm. it wasn't four out of five CEOs. It was four out of five CEOs in the supply chain industry who had right. revenues of over 3 million. Mm -hmm. who yeah. to, right? <laughs> so you've got six people you talk right. to. <laughs> exactly right. Mm -hmm. And so I think again, you know, what I always try to advocate for people is people don't have to like math or statistics mm -hmm. to be good consumers of right. data. To be a good consumer of data, you have mm -hmm. to think a little harder mm -hmm. and you have to sort of ask yourself some questions mm -hmm. when you see numbers. And that's right. how I try to approach mm -hmm. these very I, I think of it as like data literacy. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. You know, and and just knowing some of the basics, you know, as you mentioned, how many did they interview? Um, you know, that's always one of the biggies. I saw some that were national polls and it, they talked to 100 people. Sure. There's no way that, you know, that's that's any representation. I mean, you know, that's that is such a minute number. And, and what's so fascinating is, you know, the power of polling is the idea that you are trying to predict what's going to happen with, you know, 180, 190 million mm -hmm. people from mm -hmm. a very small sample. Right. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, there are statistical principles mm -hmm. that tell us that mm -hmm. actually it is amazing that we can actually predict. It, it, yeah, it really does do pretty right. good. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you get into any subgroup, is another one of my favorites. When you start to get into subgroups, every time you subdivide a sample, so let's say you started with a thousand people, but then you're going to mm -hmm. split it into, you know, split it by states. Mm -hmm. well, now you've got a big problem because you don't have right. any precision, right? So, mm -hmm. so there are just limitations mm -hmm. to what you can or can't squeeze mm -hmm. out of the data. And I think a lot of it is sort of, um, it's a perspective that mm -hmm. says, I don't want to be overly cynical about every number ever presented mm -hmm. to me, but I do want to think about it and make sure I put in context right. so I exactly what mm -hmm. the limitations mm -hmm. are. Right. Yeah. Did they only interview people in major metropolitan areas on the West Coast? Right. Uh, you know, did Very they talk to results. anybody in Wyoming at all? <laughs> A lot of things like that. And, and that's where, you know, the consumer of the data, as you said, really should be educating themselves about it. You know, and then this year, I mean, it it really, I, I feel for pollsters. I mean, you know, because there were major issues that then affected things. You know, COVID obviously was a, a huge issue. Black Lives Matter was a huge issue. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the police defunding ended up being a big issue, you know, all sorts of things like that. And you know, it's hard to ask questions. Uh, I don't even know if you can. I mean, you know, now I have seen some, some, you know, some of the poll results where they, you know, were saying, you know, you were asked, did you think enough was done about COVID or, you know, some, some things like that. Yeah. But even at that, that's subjective. I mean, how much is enough? I mean, one person is going to say, okay, we want to lock everything down and nobody moves. And the next person's like, ah, make me wear a mask in Walmart and I'm okay. <laughs> it's surveys. Survey analysis is actually complicated, and you're pointing to the way questions are asked can greatly affect the results. Right. Um, if for no other, if you just simply see what the questions are that are asked in many of these polls, that's mm -hmm. sometimes helpful for you to just to understand right. that perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not someone who takes the pers. I don't go into this thinking, well, every pollster is trying to rig their surveys. No, no. They want their data to be good because they want to be continued to be hired. Be, Let's exactly. be honest. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you know, you are also right that. I think with the COVID situation, I think it is very difficult to tell a lot of things about this election. I mean, mm -hmm. in some respects, I think this is very atypical. Mm -hmm. uh, 
even things like, you know, door knocking didn't happen as much sort mm-hmm. of by the Democratic Party. Well, that's right. sort of one way. What is that? Mm-hmm. What did that do to the results in one mm-hmm. way or another? Um, how, you know, if you're at home getting all, if you're working from home, does that mean people were more likely or less likely to actually answer their phone? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Um, and so we're in a time period where it's just so different. And mm-hmm. then you layer on top of that other types of information or disinformation. And, and I think, you know, we have a lot of attention to, you know, are people putting out disinformation about things on social media mm-hmm. and how much is consumed? Right. And do people increasingly turn for their news sources to one source or the right. other? If you're, if you're getting your information from Facebook, uh. <laughs> I might be cynical a little bit, but I, you know, like again, it's you know. So the point is just mm-hmm. that it's a very challenging and sort of um, it, the world is evolving, and mm-hmm. so just because we have more data and more information mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean the decision making is going to be better. Right. It actually, means we have to be more vigilant and mm-hmm. more thoughtful about mm-hmm. how to interpret it. Right. You know, and and it is difficult to be that pollster. You know, as as you mentioned, I mean, part of it is just simply in the training of the person who's asking the question. You know, if if you know, if if somebody's, you know, if, if I give an answer and they they pause. Well, oh, they didn't like my answer. Maybe I better be careful how I answered that. Well, maybe they were just pausing because they took a sip of their water. I mean, you know, all sorts of things like that. And so that's where it's hard to or, you know, is is, you know, an an older woman going to be more likely to respond to an older man who's asking questions. I mean, you know, it's it's really polling is extremely complicated. Yeah, I think there, there's a lot to the science of polling. Mm-hmm. As I said, you know, I'm not someone who conducts surveys as much right. as I look at the results on the back mm-hmm. end, but it is absolutely the case there is a lot that mm-hmm. goes into thinking about how questions are asked. Mm-hmm. How do you create consistency? How do you not bias the result? Mm-hmm. How do you um, how do you pick the samples? Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things go into play. So it mm-hmm. is not an easy thing. And then there's a lot of pollsters. I mean, you mm-hmm. see, you just go on any of these websites and you can see the proliferation of polls. Mm-hmm. And so right. ones are the good polls, which mm-hmm. are the bad polls. And mm-hmm. so it's like a lot of things you, as I said, more is not always better. Right. Quality right. matters too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and it is, it's, it's just so tricky. And, you know, and, and then of course there is the criticism that, you know, when you put out all this data, maybe people are going to go, well, I don't need to vote because the election, you know, it's it's already determined. They don't need my vote one way or the other. Um, you know, and that was where it was actually nice to see how many people turned out to vote, um, you know, and 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 but then it, it's made complicated when you you add in uh, early voting. I mean, we could vote in Georgia, I believe, three weeks in advance, um, you know, and and so polls taken after that, that's going to be very different. Um, you know, all of these various things, it's just it 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 is a very complicated process now. Well, and again, this was a particularly interesting election. The mm-hmm. early voting is a phenomenon I think we will have to deal with for years. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, are we moving from election mm-hmm. day to election weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, again, right. I'm not I'm not passing a value judgment. Right, on right. You just adjust how you're doing it. Just mm-hmm. how you do it, right? And so, and, and similarly, you know, I don't. You always hear about, you know, what who is the most popular person around election time? Mm-hmm. The undecided voter, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you always see um, these TV shows where people talk about are they undecided? And, and right. I think one of the things that people in Washington D.C. sometimes miss is that. You know, not everybody lives and breathes this stuff every day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people in a lot of parts of the country where when it's time to focus on the election, they mm-hmm. do. And they're not up and down with every tweet and every news story. Mm-hmm. And so, again, there's a bit of a perspective where how do you collect smart, informative mm-hmm. data if you right. don't understand the context mm-hmm. around where you're collecting the data from mm-hmm. or how people are thinking about it? Mm-hmm. And so maybe there's some room for some more reflection on that issue right. in terms right. of, you know, what are the real differences? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our thing, you know, is the way I'm going to have to approach this in certain parts of the country just different mm-hmm. uh, to right. actually ever get accurate information? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, or you know, we're going to have the people that say, let's just throw it all out. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter. We don't care. Um, you know, and and. I, you know, there are people who, you know, they're, they're, you know, just, uh, I'm, I'm, my, who I vote for is not going to be swayed in any way by a celebrity or a sports figure, just maybe, you know, and so there are also people who are going to say, well, I don't care what the poll says, I'm going to do one thing or another, and, and of course, we're talking, uh, you know, clearly about political polling, there's, you know, many, many, you know, things that, that people get polled for, but, it, you know, it's, it's just, 
it, it, if it, the, the big thing is if you're giving a poll, you need to make sure that you have really reviewed how it's taking, you know, and, and then of course, the other thing is if you're looking at the results, you need to, again, analyze it to see exactly what was talked about and, and how it was done, if possible. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, again, the basis upon which any individual votes, I mean, that's so complicated and so individualized. So mm-hmm. you know, let, let's go back to what can a poll tell you or not at mm-hmm. any point in time, assuming you actually have a representative sample mm-hmm. of the people that are going to vote on election right. day, it tells you how they would choose at that point in time. Mm-hmm. What you right. could do. That's assuming. And in- tomorrow it might change. Okay. I mean, that's that's the whole complicated process. And then because you're only getting a sample, mm-hmm. a small group of people, mm-hmm. you have a bunch of error in mm-hmm. that. That's right. that's not about that mm-hmm. happens simply as a matter mm-hmm. of statistics, right? right? When we do small samples, we're not, you know, yes, there is a way to get a really accurate poll. It's mm-hmm. called the election. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it, right. I mean, I've I've talked to people who've been polled and they have told me I lied. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and, and I mean that's that is obviously built in. You know that 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 a certain number of people are, you know, for whatever reason, not going to be truthful with their answers, um, you know, and, and so that's why it's, you know, you've got that margin of error. I mean, that is just kind of one of the things in there. Oh, well, but I'm I was like, trying oh. to guess. Mm-hmm. I was trying to guess what how, how can we use our experience from the past to mm-hmm. inform the future, right? Just like polling. I mean, all data analysis. Whether you're doing it in a company, whether you're doing it, mm-hmm. you know. Past the prologue, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as, a, as a starting point, if if the number of people that are lying to a pollster is different now than it was, mm-hmm. you know, four years ago, right. we're going to get it wrong, even if we mm-hmm. try to correct for it. Right, and and then of course, how do you know? <laughs> That's you know, just because they tell you I'm going to vote for X person, doesn't you know? It, it, they they may or may not be telling the truth, and 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 you don't know. I mean, that's just again, that's the margin of error. Oh, I agree. I think it's a again, as we are kind of trying to catch our collective breath, mm-hmm. um, and election, you know, is is over. I'm mm-hmm. not sure it's any controversial, but as mm-hmm. we, we looks pretty clear, the election is over. Right. We're going to sort of look back and do sort of the postmortem on what mm-hmm. the polls showed and what mm-hmm. can't be learned. You know, I hope that the continued changing demographics, mm-hmm. the continued changing in the way people respond to mm-hmm. polls, you know, for polls to be credible for the long run, they will have to grapple with these issues. Right. Um, really hard. As I said, though, mm-hmm. when you take it, the takeaway right now, though, the disturbing part of this year's polling misses, and in some respects, I think it's more disturbing than 2016, is it looks like early that it's just all in the same direction. Right. You don't want bot- mm-hmm. that, that. That's you don't mm-hmm. want that. <laughs> that that's right. Real- yeah. You know, and 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 I don't you know, I, maybe I'm being Pollyanna. I but I don't think that it was done deliberately. Um, I think it was just kind of a combination of the moon and the stars and everything else. I mean, it was just strange. Yeah, no, well, I think, again, we're in an exceptional time, mm-hmm. so that makes it hard. Again, mm-hmm. data is one tool. It is right. a tool, though, and it can only mm-hmm. be as good as what, um, mm-hmm. you know, the interpretation has to be tied to what it right. actually represents. Right. You know, and uh, businesses use data all the time. And so, you know, we'll, we'll swing this back towards a, a business discussion. You get ready to develop a new product. So you have a focus group. How do you ask those questions? You know, all of these various things. And, you know, and again, it is, it's the, you know, how you are asking what you're doing that, that really does, because again, you want to make sure you have the right data, especially if you're a business getting ready to sink hundreds, thousands, millions of dollars into product development, all of those various things. And, and so that's why it's, it's very tricky from a business perspective to make sure that you're getting good data. Yeah, I think, that, you know, back to the issue of simply, you know, how do people talk about data? How do people use data? In a company, in a business setting, I think data can be an incredibly empowering tool. Mm-hmm. But I think of it, again, sometimes people think of it as a panacea, like it's going to solve all your problems. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the right perspective. Again, mm-hmm. I'm a data-oriented guy. Mm-hmm. and you know, but, but I think what you really have to do to sort of get good, to, to think about this issue as a business person mm-hmm. is, if you're going to make decisions, you know, and you're going to invest, however, hundreds mm-hmm. millions of dollars in something, um, I don't think I want to make that decision entirely based on my gut reaction. Or, or right. My, yeah. yeah. I might think it's the greatest thing in the world, but the rest of the world but might I not. Be wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got to be willing to look at data in a way that is going to either confirm mm-hmm. or um, or not confirm mm-hmm. your prior beliefs. And that's mm-hmm. there are all sorts of biases when people do this. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of framing the question up front. What mm-hmm. is the question you want to answer? Right. 
what is the data you have available to you? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a context in a marketing setting where people are doing small mm-hmm. focus groups and things like that. I often talk to companies about, I call it sort of data facilitation. How mm-hmm. do you use the various data sets at your disposal within your right. company that actually mm-hmm. were used for the purpose of ordinary course of business, your payroll mm-hmm. data set versus your HR mm-hmm. database versus mm-hmm. a timekeeping database, right. uh, or sometimes it's a productivity database, mm-hmm. house, mm-hmm. Or, or your financials, your P&Ls. Mm-hmm. How can you combine that information together to answer questions that are meaningful for you? Mm-hmm. So you sort of hit on it early on, though, in sort of the way you set up this section of our discussion, which is... What is the question I'm trying to answer? Right. What data can actually help me answer it? Mm-hmm. And then I can think about, all right, well, what's the analysis mm-hmm. I need to conduct? But if you don't spend the time to set the table, mm-hmm. if you don't set the time to actually think, okay, what are we trying to understand? Mm-hmm. You know, then you can have lots of data analyses that can just be squished and pushed mm-hmm. and moved and around and sort mm-hmm. of, you know, you don't, there's nothing worse than people just talking past each other with data. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to really sort of do something that's pretty firm. And also, again, that discipline of, Here's the thought process. Here's what the data is. That helps you get to a better answer. Mm-hmm. In the real world, um, you have to get to an answer. You know, I can't as a leader. I mean, I, I own and run a company. Mm-hmm. I have to make decisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can't wait till I have 100% certainty in the data all the time to make mm-hmm. those decisions. What I try to do is identify what can I learn from the data? Mm-hmm. That's the whole. I'm going to make the best decision I can. And then I'm going to continue to update the data to mm-hmm. see if I can fill in the things I don't know. Right. That's the way I approach it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and speaking of filling in the holes, you know, the, the biggest data kind of confusion right now is COVID. Um, you know, and, and from a business perspective, it's just so confusing, you know, and, and uh, you know, because it it varies every day. I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it, and it varies during the day. I mean, that's that, you know, how many cases, you know, and, and again, it, it comes back to how is it being reported? Uh, who is is recording it? And you know, there. Let's be honest. There have been some political ramifications in in some of this, but you know, it is it is one of those weird things. But as a business owner, you're thinking. I mean, one of the biggest things that many people are thinking, especially if you have employees, they've been working remotely. When is it safe to have them come back? And the you know, you're looking at this data, thinking, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, so COVID has been a game changer for just mm-hmm. about every business. And, mm-hmm. and um, our analytics firm has done a lot of sort of public studies on COVID in terms of just different ways to put the data out mm-hmm. there. You know, one of our high profile projects actually is we did some work for the NFL Players Association, ah, we mm-hmm. built a dashboard for them mm-hmm. in each NFL franchise city where mm-hmm. we put up updated information on the number of COVID cases mm-hmm. and hospitalizations, things like that. Right. And a lot of our initial approach to this when we've dealt with companies and is sort of, well, let's just get some factual basis. Mm-hmm. I'm not an epidemiologist, but I feel like I've had to become one for the purposes of <laughs> mm-hmm. conducting even mm-hmm. economic analysis. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, and I think at least we've started to evolve, it seems like there's at least more consistency mm-hmm. in terms of the testing. But if you go back mm-hmm. early in the days when the test, who were the people that were most likely to be tested early on? Right. The sick people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So there, you were probably going to have a pretty high positivity rate. Right. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean it's not serious and contagious. Mm-hmm. It means that even what you can get mm-hmm. from those samples early on. You know, Now right. we've moved to a new phase where mm-hmm. there's, you know, cases are really skyrocketing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, some of that's been predicted by some of our officials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right. But, yeah. But I mean, you know, it was just kind of going to happen with holidays and cold weather. I mean, that was, you know, I think you'd have to be kind of silly to not think, oh, I bet the numbers are going to go up. So now that we're in that circumstance, you know, as companies are dealing with the reality of these issues, I think the ability to sort of know what our public health officials are telling us is helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, again, as a business leader, you know, I want to understand that. Um, the data that we collect, you know, we do sort of, as I said, we look at sort of different mm-hmm. COVID cases in different locations. Mm-hmm. Our, our firm is mainly in Los Angeles and, and D.C., so mm-hmm. those to, you know, major metropolitan. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we actually, we have done surveys of our employees about mm-hmm. their comfort level. Because one mm-hmm. of the other parts about this is sort of both a combination of risk aversion, you right. know, different people feel more or less mm-hmm. concerned um, and you need to be receptive to that. Mm-hmm. So we've coll- we personally at our firm have collected data on that as we try to keep sort of tabs on our employees mm-hmm. and sort of where they're at. Um, and then of course the, you know, the well being of our employees mm-hmm. and how easily can we work remotely? Mm-hmm. Right. We're sort of fortunate that we work in my particular industry, since we're doing data analyses, we do a lot of, I'm tired of Zoom. Wherever you have internet, you right. can work. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Um, there are other jobs that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So sort of striking that balance from a business perspective mm -hmm. too. But even that has required a great deal of monitoring. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean monitoring like, oh, what are you doing every hour of the day? But right. more like, how do you make sure employees continue to have work to do when you, you mm -hmm. know, how much work happens where you right. say, oh, I need something else to do. Oh, I need this done. Now it's got to be all mapped out. Mm -hmm. And so for, you know, some of our best practices have been to create sort of reports that go to all of our mm -hmm. seniors that maybe we weren't even, even as a data-driven company, we, mm -hmm. we really, really ramped up our reporting mm -hmm. and how we kind of keep right. track of people and responsibilities and things mm -hmm. like that. And so, again, I think data can be a tool to mm -hmm. help tailor to the individual mm -hmm. business problems business leaders are happening. But again, it's not going to be a panacea. And this answer is not clearly going to be the same for every right. business. Mm -hmm. So it is tricky. And, you know, the other thing I will say is, if you go back in time, I even know for my business, sort of as I've been monitoring what drives demand for our mm -hmm. work, um, where I was in February, March, where I was in June, where I am today are very different places. Mm -hmm. So this other part of it is I try to gauge, well, what is a, you know, there's a lot of talk about the V-shaped recovery. Mm -hmm. V-shaped, I always say it looks a lot more like a Nike swoosh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? But that's uneven. That's not across all industries. Right. And so again, you know, when I'm looking at economic data, I'm trying to understand, okay, well, where are we seeing sort of rebounds? Where are we seeing soft spots? And why is that occurring? And how does that play into my business? Mm -hmm. So I think data can be incredibly informative. But again, there's a lot of it. And we're dealing with an unprecedented situation. I can't go back to the 1920 pandemic. Right. Yeah. Hey, what can I learn about what was happening mm -hmm. in the Woodrow Wilson administration? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not yeah, I've I've actually seen some people doing that. I'm like, no. Yeah. I mean, I, now granted, there are a handful of industries that are similar enough. That, okay, that might work, but yeah, for the most part, no. <laughs> I just don't. I that doesn't feel like past is prologue enough. I mean, I mm -hmm. might learn some interesting historical things, but that's mm -hmm. not the basis I want to make my decisions. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm a lot more interested in sort of what's happened in deep recessions in the 80s, mm -hmm. 2009, mm -hmm. in terms of what a recovery might look like, or also, you know, uh, places or cities where there were natural disasters, like mm -hmm. a hurricane, right. or, you know, how did economies recover mm -hmm. from that kind of shock? And right. so, and September 11th is probably a, a fairly good, you know, but it, that was so short term. Um, you know, we had about two weeks where we went, oh my gosh. And then everything, for the most part, got back to kind of normal. I mean, it took time for sort of the travel industry to recover. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. that. But at the same time, um, this is a sustained, prolonged. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could be, I mean, it, it's right. We don't know when it's going to end. Right. I mean, we went into sort of the work from home lockdown the day after my birthday in March. So I remember really clearly, mm -hmm. like March 13th. Right. You know, oh, yeah. The mm -hmm. notion that like, uh, in my birthday this year, we probably still will be home. <laughs> At least to some degree. Right, exactly. Even if it's even if we have a vaccine or something, we're not all going to be back fully. You know, this is right. not instantaneous. So mm -hmm. I just think the data helps us to try mm -hmm. to put, you know, get the best information we can. Right. Think about the problems as mm -hmm. systematically mm -hmm. as we can. Um, there's no blueprint, though. There, no. There's no, you know, oh, just do it this way. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the hard part about these things. That's why right. you have to think about them. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, you know, and again, it's uh, as a business leader, it's been a frustrating, frustrating mm -hmm. time. I'm not right. used to managing mm -hmm. a firm remotely. I'm not mm -hmm. used to all the, that diversity of issues or navigating mm -hmm. the various, you know, there's a very stressed out employees <laughs> right. um, mm -hmm. are, are difficult to manage. And so um, it really is calling upon the combination of your mm -hmm. business acumen, your leadership skills. And then supplementing mm -hmm. that with data is the mm -hmm. way I get through to try to figure right. it out. Right. You know, and I've I've kind of made the assumption since you know Mayish when we were going through this that that many businesses would think we're going to continue working remotely. Um, you know, it's less expensive. You know, especially if they were renting fairly, you know, fairly um, uh, expensive space, you know, even if they own their own building it might be easier to, to try and sell it. Now I wouldn't want to be a commercial realtor right now, but um, you know, and, and having people at home, it, you know, as long as people have the right equipment to do what they need to be doing, they can, they can be functioning, but you know, you, you brought something up and that's that, is that what the employees want? 
For some of them, they want to be back in the office for a variety of reasons, um, you know, and, and I mean, some of them want to be away from their kids. Now, you know, okay, they still have to be homeschooled, so I'm not sure how that works. But, you know, uh, uh, someone like my husband, <coughs> one of the things he's been home since since early March, they've been told January at least, his team works better when they are together, just for a variety of reasons. And, you know, he said, frequently, it's things like you just have a quick question. Well, you can't get them on the phone. You can't email them. Da, 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 da. But you could go, hey, you know, to the person in the next cubicle, um, you know, and, and so it, it's, it's, as you said, it, we've got to get back to asking the employees. And whether it's formal or informal, just, you know, hey, how you doing today, John? You know, is there anything we could be doing to make things better? As you know, or what about if we come back to work in a hybrid situation? What would you see in that? Um, you know, all sorts of things, and and I think that's what we're kind of missing is taking into account what our employees want. Um, I, I think you know, as we think about productivity, right? The the idea that you can take a workforce that mm-hmm. was largely working in an office context mm-hmm. and move them all home and mm-hmm. assume the productivity is going to be identical, right? Um, and again, I don't think it goes all one way or the other. I think mm-hmm. there are some things that might be much more productive mm-hmm. from home, and I think there are others. But, right. but I think a really good perspective, a sort of twofold, is you know, mm-hmm. our early sort of polling of our workforce has been about their level of anxiety mm-hmm. and their comfort level. Mm-hmm. Is you know we don't want anxious workers. Right. So not going to help us. To perform. They'll make mistakes. You right. know. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the productivity issues. You know, when you're dealing with data, are there ways that, you know, being together is more helpful? Mm-hmm. How have you had to adjust? Do we have substitutes for sort of right. the e-meeting or these mm-hmm. types of things? And so I do think organizations are just up and down, large, mm-hmm. small organizations are trying to figure out what are the best practices? Mm-hmm. How do you thread the needle in a situation mm-hmm. like this to do the best you can? Um, and again, I don't know that there's any, I don't think there's any single best practice mm-hmm. Per se, but I do think the idea, you know, it, it's not going to be suddenly nobody's going to go back to work in person either, because right. there was a reason all these workforces mm-hmm. were set up that way. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely you allude to the personal things. I mean, mm-hmm. homeschooling now, mm-hmm. you've got people that have to deal with that. You've got some people that live alone where their right. major social interaction mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. with their. Yeah, they're getting depressed just because they're not seeing people. Right. And so there's a lot. It's a very complex social mm-hmm. issue. I I suspect that you know you're, where are you going to see doctoral dissertations on this time period? Oh yeah, years after this, mm-hmm. right? Right, uh, right. But it, it it would be fascinating if it wasn't our real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. so um, again, I I throughout have tried to take a perspective of staying as calm as I can and mm-hmm. measured, trying to be data driven where I can be, mm-hmm. but also understanding that we're dealing with people, and mm-hmm. you know the data can tell me certain things. Mm-hmm. Data can't tell me everything about how employee X is going to respond mm-hmm. to whatever is going on in mm-hmm. the world. And right. so it's, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Right. And then again, it comes back to how you're asking the questions and who. You know, if, if your boss is asking you, hey, do you want to come back into the office? You might give a very different answer than if it's a true third party who's who's asking you that, um, you know, and and so there's yeah, I mean that's just that's where it gets really tricky, but obviously we want to encourage people. You've got to be you know, those lines of communication have got to be open with your employees, um, you know, and 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 just figuring out what's what's going to work and and even processes. You know, I've I've talked to people who have figured out that. You know, the, the working at 10 a.m., they're just not morning people. Mm-hmm. So if you tell them, you know, in a normal work environment, they're going to work eight to five, well, they might be much more productive late afternoon and evening. Um, clearly, homeschooling is is really messing with with people's schedules, um, you know, all sorts of things like that. And and so it, it is, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe you do online polls so nobody's asking that question. You don't have those dramatic pauses. Oh God, I just gave the wrong answer. Um, you know, all of those various things. It's, it's going to be a combination of things and then it has to change, you know, because that what works this month might not work next month. Yeah. We've been trying again. I mean, I can just sort of from our case study perspective, you know, we've started having essentially what our regular um, morning meetings with the entire mm-hmm. firm every day, just mm-hmm. to sort of have a kickoff point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have team meetings and right. you know, team meetings are smaller groups mm-hmm. where people can sort of ask if they need something to do. Mm-hmm. We have some reporting on those types of things. I mean, 
um, we've tried to put in some processes mm -hmm. to just heighten the communication right. mm -hmm. because you don't have that luxury of, okay, I'm stopping by the cubicle. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, um, and again, we have sort of formal information gathering, like mm -hmm. the kind of surveys you're talking about, they're still informal. Um, and again, we just are trying to do the best mm -hmm. we can in the environment. Again, mm -hmm. I think sometimes people mistake that being a data-driven organization means that I literally look at, you know, productivity mm -hmm. measures for every person right. and I look at mm -hmm. attitudinal surveys and I'm yeah, doing- You've got something attached to their yeah. computer that's telling yeah, you every keystroke. That's not what I mean by a data-driven organization. Mm -hmm. What I mean by a data-driven organization is one that takes data seriously to mm -hmm. answer important questions, right. understands both the strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm. of data, and, and implements it mm -hmm. as a tool in the decision-making, mm -hmm. but not the entirety of the decision. Right, right. You know, and then it is a combination of things. You know, we're, you know as, as you said, you know, we're doing a lot of things on Zoom now. So you've got, say, your, your, your morning meetings. You, you might have asked questions, all of these various things, but from, the, from an HR perspective, or, you know, it's not really HR, but, you know, an intuitive, I'm not even quite sure how to word it, you need to be cognizant of just paying attention to some of the, the the things that are happening to people. You know, are the people that, you know, normally came in, you know, with all of their calls and in their polo shirts and they look like this. Now are they in scraggly t-shirts and, you know, which, I mean, that's not a bad thing, but are they in the scraggly t-shirt because they might be getting depressed? Um, you know, and, 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 and the problem with zoom is we've got people from mid chest up. We're not getting a lot of body language, you know, things that you would get just from being in your, your in-person meetings. So that's what makes it hard too. um, you know, is, is we've got to be picking up on all of those signs. Right. And I, and I think, you know, again, I try not to be, um, I don't try to read it, overread the data, you know, for our mm -hmm. firm, you know, we've taken some sort of, I think that are just sound policies. We've had some mental health awareness mm -hmm. sessions right. where we had outside counselors in and opportunities for seminars and things on managing stress and things like that. You know, we, we make outside counseling services mm -hmm. available to mm -hmm. our employees and, and, and we always have them, but we are really publicizing right. them right now in a way, you know, mm -hmm. um, we are trying to watch for these different sort of signs. Again, it, it's very difficult. And again, I'm not saying that's necessarily purely data-driven mm -hmm. other than just the volume of things we try mm -hmm. to do. Right. But, but again, back to repeated touch points, repeated mm -hmm. communications, mm -hmm. um, that's data too. People don't always think about these right. things. Data. Mm -hmm. Now, some of it might be biased in one way or another. Mm -hmm. I get that. But as a practical matter, what you are talking about is synthesizing Whatever information you have at your disposal on the state of your workforce, mm -hmm. trying to be actionable about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that as an employer, that's what you can do more mm -hmm. um, foolish not to. Right. Right. You know, and, and obviously the workforce is going to change. Um, whether it's long-term or, or short-term, I think one of the things, because I think many companies are going to say, okay, people can work from home um, in a hybrid, uh, you know, 100% home, all those various things. But then, of course, you have the question that comes in with, well, do they still have to be in the same physical location? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if, if I kind of joked before, as long as you've got the internet, you can work from wherever. Okay, that's cool. I'm going to go to the beach. <laughs> you know, and as again, as long as you're getting your work done, who the heck cares? Um, but it's going to give employers the opportunity to expand their workforces. Um, you know, whether it's it just, you know, other states, other locations, out of the country. I mean, all these various things. And, and so they're going to have to know, okay, if if I've got a bunch of employees who are now four time zones away, how do we function? You know, all sorts of things like that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, again, more as a business leader, you know, I, I think we just have to be cautious and we should have to play this out a little mm -hmm. bit. I don't think we're ready to have a remote, you know, universal workforce. Right. Um, and I don't think, you know, and so, but I think many companies will be confronting these issues. I still mm -hmm. think right now we're still in sort of the middle of a crisis, but I think mm -hmm. as we come out of it, I think there will be sort of an interesting mm -hmm. to watch how that happens. And again, I suspect people start to be thinking about productivity data. Mm -hmm. And how do you measure whether mm -hmm. this job can really be effective and does right. that create disproportionate burdens on people in the office versus not? And so there will be a whole host of new data questions to be answered. Um, I'm just not sure the data right now is incredibly representative of ultimately what the experience right. will be. But there's probably some mm -hmm. really good lessons to be learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, it's such a fluid situation. You know, one of the things is, is homeschooling. 
you you send your kids to school and you think, oh, I can finally, and then whoop, they're back home again. Um, You know, and, and so, you know, your your question yesterday is very different than your question today of your employees. And, um, you know, you mentioned the NFL sports. I mean, all these various things. I'm, I'm down here in Georgia and they just announced a little bit ago that, that University of Georgia's football game will not be played this weekend. Um, you know, everything is just so fluid that it's, it's very hard to get a grasp on things, but that's where it comes back to the data, you know, because the, the data is, is going to give you, it, it, when approached the right way, the answers that you need as much as it possibly can. I, I think, you know, we are in a time where we are all looking for certainty in any number of places, especially mm-hmm. how little certainty there is. Mm-hmm. And so the, way, again, it's, the way I think about data is, can it provide us at least some insights right. so we're informed, mm-hmm. not going to get everything right, mm-hmm. we're not going to necessarily have every answer. But I think in a time when we're desperate for some degree of certainty, mm-hmm. or at least being able to figure out which questions we can or can't mm-hmm. answer, it should provide some comfort. Um, that there's a little bit more structure to how Mm -hmm. to think about problem solving. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, all of these things are problems. But um, it's an anxious time. It's a difficult Mm -hmm. economic time. Mm -hmm. Um, I always think about the fact, you know, we have this unprecedented situation where a health crisis has led to an economic crisis. Mm -hmm. You know, between that and the election and the the, the racial tensions, it's just that Mm -hmm. 2020 is going to be a year we're all unfortunately going to remember for a long time. It's it's Uh, it's going to become you know we're going to anytime something bad happens we're going to go 2020. 2020 (laughs) in our lives, you know, Mm -hmm. and so um, it is uh, it is a challenging time, but I'd like to try to think of it as you know in challenging times where opportunities come about. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, to improve processes, mm-hmm. to think about how you can use more information or different information, how to think about problems differently. Mm-hmm. So like that's sort of the perspective that I've tried to take as a business mm-hmm. leader. And, I, you know, it's kind of like, let's make some lemonade out of the lemons. That's yeah. what we do. Oh, yeah, you have to. Um, you know, And that, that, that's been the interesting thing is to see how many companies have, we're going to use the key word for right now, pivot. <laughs> you know, that's that's the, that's one of the words of 2020 is we're going to pivot, um, you know, and and how many companies really are doing pretty well with doing that? Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things that we do with our analytics companies, we have this thing called the data blueprint, where we sort mm-hmm. of provide consulting, where when someone has a question and they don't they don't, they don't want to hire us to do all this work, they just mm-hmm. want to talk about a data problem, you right. know, try to help frame their question. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, here's the problem you're facing, and here's how mm-hmm. to use the data you have to answer it yourself, mm-hmm. and. Um, I kind of call it like DIY data analysis. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think what is interesting about that is you're right, is you know, many companies are forcing themselves right now, either by necessity or because of opportunity, to mm-hmm. sort of make a pivot and think about, well, what mm-hmm. can I do instead? Or how do I serve this market? Or how has the change in the world meant that what I was doing before isn't going to mm-hmm. work the same way? And so, you know, it is sometimes that a great crisis is where great entrepreneurship right. comes from. So mm-hmm. Again, I try to be positive and, you know, mm-hmm. if you have economic indicators or things like that, I'd be a little depressed, but thinking more about, you know, kind of like, is there potential for a great deal of economic activity and change? There is. Mm-hmm. We can all hope for. I love it. I love it. Well, oh my gosh. You know, this is why I set a timer because we could go on talking about this. And, and like I said, you know, one and one don't make two for me, but I love this. I mean, this, I geek out on this stuff. This is, is very cool. So I've been having so much fun talking with you, but tell us. What services Edgeworth Analytics can provide to organizations? Well, basically, we, as I said, we are to think of us as sort of data teachers. So we're here to help facilitate or mm-hmm. help you frame the problems you might have. We work mm-hmm. with all sorts of different types of companies, all different types of organizations, large, small. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a data problem or a problem where you think, you know, I think data could help me, mm-hmm. we're kind of someone you can turn to. So um, edgeworthanalytics.com is our website. That's the place to find us. And you can see the types of things we do. Cool. But, Think of us as sort of like a, a Swiss Army knife for mm-hmm. data problems. That's right. the way I like to describe it. I love it. And you know, obviously, it's a virtual world now, so you can work with people anywhere. Anywhere, it's pretty easy. Yeah, you can you can see the baseball pictures behind me from anywhere in the world. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, what final thoughts do you have for us? Well, I would just say again, you know, look, obviously, everybody stays safe and healthy, of course, in mm-hmm. this environment. But again, just sort of this idea that data is a tool. It is not a replacement for all decision-making, but mm-hmm. the notion of as we are faced with different, more difficult, challenging problems, the notion that data can help as opposed to obscure, I think that's a perspective I'd just like people to remember because data used properly can be incredibly powerful. 
I love it. I love it. Well, I, this really has been fascinating. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's so much fun to talk about this, and and uh, you know, I, it would be fun to revisit this conversation. And maybe once the pandemic has calmed down, um, just to see how companies settled and, and things like that. So it'd be great to have you on again. Um, but until then, I'm Deb Creer. I've been talking with Dr. John Johnson of Edgeworth Analytics. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Tune in for our next program for even more trends, best practices, and techniques for how to make your business a success. The Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer, is proud to be part of the C-Suite Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.